Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Investing with IBD sponsored by Vantage Point. Today is January 6, 2021. Happy New Year, everyone. I'm your host, Arusha Paris, and today we have Scott St. Clair returning back to the show. Scott is a senior product coach at MarketSmith. Thanks for being here, Scott. All right. Thanks, Arusha. I've got the record for 2021, most appearances. And I think yeah, the, you might have the overall record, ah, too. I didn't so. want to mention that. I thought that might be the case, too, but I was certain I had the 2021 record. Yes, definitely. <laughs> On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the current market. We're going to talk about post-analysis, and we will end the episode with a few current ideas. So let's get right into the current market. The market's in an uptrend. Uh, we have distribution days on the NASDAQ, three of them, five on the S&P. So they're starting to collect, starting to get a little bit heavy. We're, we're kind of on this on the edge right here. Scott, what are your thoughts on this market right now? Yeah, I think today will probably be a distribution day as well on the NASDAQ, which is very strange. Um, you had a real bifurcation of the market, you know, NASDAQ down over a percent, S&P up three quarters of a percent roughly. Uh, you're getting a lot of rotation. Uh, there's some groups that are starting to show up with really strong price action. They don't have the characteristics, you know, earnings, sales, et cetera, that we prefer. Right. So I, I think there's a lot of cross currents. Uh, you know, you always want to be on your toes, but I think right now you really want to be on your toes. There's, it could be like a possible sea change in, in, you know, where the money is flowing. Yeah. Well, uh, we, we, we did IBD Live this, uh, this morning. We had David Ryan on, uh, who was a three-time U.S. investing champion. He's been on the podcast a, a number of times, too. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of the stocks you brought up. He, he brought up another, a number of agriculture stocks. Yeah, uh, I bought because, one as soon as he mentioned it. I thought, wow, that looks really good. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, I mean, I pulled up Mosaic uh, right here, and I just remember Mosaic from 2007 when it went on a great run but uh it's uh it it's trending pretty well now and and commodity stocks can um, move uh, quite fast and of course fertilizer stocks uh, can can definitely move and as you mentioned before scott with the groups these guys can definitely all uh, move in a group and have a really strong group move so there are 49 uh right now and i'm just clicking on their chart. Uh, for those of you who are listening in the car, you could always go back when you're at your computer, go to investors.com slash podcast. And you can see we're showing the screen. We're showing some charts here. And I just pulled up the, the industry group chart for the chemicals agriculture group, uh, which has had a strong move. And the one thing I wanted to see, I'm going to the overview here. And Scott, I don't know if you ever real, realized this, but uh, I only really re-noticed it recently again. But this industry group ranking, you have pretty nicely right here on the, the right-hand side. And so three months ago, this group was ranked 115. It's now 49. So there is some momentum coming into this group on a relative strength level. Three months ago is 43. It's now 75. Uh, so yeah, so that's kind of what you're talking about, right, Scott, with the, the money is going into some non-traditional growth groups, which, you know, that's part of the game. There's going to be rotation. And money's going to flow uh, to other industries uh, during uh, different parts of the cycle. Yeah, I mean, it, it, tech stocks and as a and it's a broad overview, but as a general group, done really, really well. Does that mean they have to stop doing well? No, but 
you know, if you study history, you know, everything in the stock market works in cycles. So you have to be aware that there can be cycles of underperformance as well. And one thing about the indexes, they could, they do a really good job of masking um, the underperformance in certain areas. And so you can, if you're just staring at the indexes, you can be fooled a little bit thinking everything is okay. I should be invested, but the stocks that you're invested in, you know, could be under distribution. So it's, there's, there's a couple of ways you have to, you know, stay on top of it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point. It, I generally get a much better feel for the market with individual stocks because they're, that's what I'm putting my money in. That's what's going to tell me what's, whether I'm right or wrong. Yeah. By if I'm making money or not. For uh, sure. And it, it, my favorite point about that is if you buy XYZ and you use our rules and you buy it at 100 and the market goes up every day, but XYZ goes down every day, you're going to stop yourself out regardless of what the market's doing, right? If you're following our rules. So that's why, you, you know, staying on top of these stocks, you don't have to, it's not always going to be, you know, the market's a big headwind or a tailwind for sure. But, you know, what your stocks are doing is what's going to move your account. Uh, that, that's what's most important. Yeah, I just pulled up the S&P 500 and maybe the S&P 500 takes more of that leadership now if money goes more towards some of the more traditional companies uh, and uh, more industrial uh, related companies too. Uh, so something to keep an eye on. You know, that being said, if you keep watching stocks that are getting relative strength and are showing relative strength and are breaking out, the money will slowly, uh, the market will slowly pull you into those directions. If you choose to invest in those type of groups or not. Now there are times where I may see some groups like a chemical group uh, where I just may choose not to invest or I may invest a lot smaller because I just don't understand those those companies that as much and so I don't have as much conviction what, what about you Scott yeah I think it's a great point you know a lot of times people will say well you talked about XYZ it didn't have uh, earnings or didn't have big sales or didn't it doesn't always check every you know quote unquote canceling box. And, and my first thought is, okay, great. It's your money. You don't have to buy it, right? And so you, that's one of the huge, huge advantages, probably the most, the most obvious advantage we have over the institutions is the ability to, to pass on a name. And in, if you don't like, if the, if the market keeps going in that wave of these types of names and you slowly start to get out of the stocks you prefer, the types of names, say tech stocks, for example, you're just going to gradually go from 180, 70, 50, 40% invested. And you can do that in your own account. You don't have to worry about, you know, your mandate as a mutual fund manager. Yeah. And, and so I, I know personally, I'm definitely not anywhere near hundred percent in the market right now. Uh, uh, well, let me ask you this guy, how do you generally handle the beginning of new years? Are, are you, are you just going to treat each one a little bit differently or every year you're just a little bit slower to move in and you want to just see if it gets a footing? Yes. The latter. I always start the year at zero. Um, that doesn't mean I have to be all cash, but a lot of times I am. I just like to just start at zero. Um, I was listening to Stan Druckenmiller because I was looking, I thought you'd want a quote and I kept looking for a quote from him there's a quote that he has, and I, I, and I wanted to get the quote right, and I couldn't, couldn't find where I heard it anyways, but he said something that 
I thought, well, this is great. He says, at the end of the year, psychologically and financially, you were set to zero, especially in his business because he'd yeah. get paid on you know percentage of gains at the end of the year. He goes, last year's profits are yesterday's news. I love that. They are for me. I like to start at zero and I like to go a little slower um, and build up a cushion if I can, and then try to be a pig with the market's money uh, versus, you know, pedal the metal. I had a great year last year. Let's just go ahead and go pedal the metal this year. And, and if you catch a bad swing in the market, you can, be, you know, be down 10, 20% pretty quickly. And then psychologically, it's tough to dig out of that hole um, and, and play the year correctly. So yeah, I always start at zero, like psychologically and financially and try to build a cushion and then get more aggressive if I can get a cushion. Yeah, and, and, and that just brings up a great point. And a lot of listeners I know out there, they probably had great, great years. And so first, congrats. I, I, um, this was a very unusual year. Uh, and to, to take advantage of it is uh, well done on that because it was not an easy uh, uh, environment as, as we all know. But that being said, what Scott said, you have to treat this year a little bit differently. It, it's human nature, right? You have such a great year and you make a ton of money and you start thinking you're good at this, right? <laughs> and, and, you, and what happens? You get a little bit more complacent and you start getting a little bit more relaxed with the rules in your discipline. And then you walk into a new year still, you know, saying, you know, I made a ton of money, like you said. And then the next year you get caught. Maybe you even make like, for instance, uh, I'll, I'll put up the little spotlight here, but for, for instance, I mean, we, we started out last year pretty, pretty well. I, I remember that I, I, I was, I was doing pretty well at the very beginning. And then it was just amazing at how quickly the market took it back. And you had to really be, and last year was the scariest year because you had a, there's no time to really, you know, think you just had to react very fast and say, something's off. Oh, let me get his sidelines and react uh, and, and analyze then, right? Um, so you, you don't wanna let, you wanna be careful of that complacency because every year is a new year and don't give back that hard earned money. That was a, a great year. And if you did well, you wanna make sure you keep most of that money so you can let it compound in the right environments. Yeah, yeah. and the math is cruel. You know, if you, you, you make 50% one year and, and the, um, then you go down, you know, 30% the next or whatever the number is, you're, you're basically back at even. It doesn't yeah. seem fair, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then of course you have to think about the taxes that taxes. <laughs> yeah. I heard a lot the of taxes will take, put you down pretty quickly. Back. I can tell you the first year I ever started trading uh, in 1995, I didn't really think about taxes, you know, I just like, you know, I'll just, and I made a lot of money for a 25 year old kid and coming into January, I didn't send the government any money. And so then coming into January, I was just pedal the metal because that's what I'd been all year long in, in 1995. and 96, I got hit 20% in January, right off the top, super quick. And then come, you know, March, I met with my accountant and he gave me the tax bill. And I was like, whoa, you know, I got to drain my account to pay the tax bill. And before I knew it, I was down 50%. So, you know, at one point I'm here 
And between the, the 20% drawdown and taking money out to pay taxes, my account was in half. And, and that wow. was pretty tough for me to stomach. I just thought, you know, oh my gosh, this, this is really hard to stomach. And I remember having a line in the sand on my account where I was going to close my account and just say, you know what, it's, it's just got lucky. Made a bunch of money in a bull market and I just got lucky. And, and um, I don't know if I would have closed the account forever. I, I don't believe I'd have done that. I don't even know if I'd have sent the money out. But I remember thinking if it drops below X amount, uh, I'm going to send the money out um, because I, I, I have just given back way too much. It was very devastating psychologically. And that's, you know, in taxable accounts, you have to consider that, you know, in IRAs and stuff we've talked about a million times. I love the Roth IRA. Yeah. You get that after uh, that no tax compounding, which is huge, but in a normal margin account. Yeah. You got to consider the taxes too. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I know personally for me, uh, every, every time I, do pretty well in the the market i'm definitely putting a bunch of money to the side <laughs> because i'm i'm terrified of putting letting that money work in the new year and getting that 20 percent hit and also now to take more money out of the account so I, I get a lot more conservative usually at the beginning of the year and I, I also me personally and this is just my biases and this has definitely been not the case the the last uh, couple of years i think but uh january's of generally been a little bit harder for me and february's were always kind of really tough for me uh it, but you know it, it, it I, i've been proven wrong and and in the end i've just done it long enough to not to, to try to not let those biases interfere too much and i'm still saying okay what is the market saying though i, I feel my emotions i'm a little bit more hesitant but what is the market saying and last year was a perfect year, a perfect example of that. Scott, let's just talk a little bit of just a larger picture of last year, because there's so many lessons and uh, for last year, but just some quick thoughts on some of the larger lessons to, to learn from 2020. Yeah, I, I can't wait for five years or maybe less when you can, you know, the history books write about, you know, the this year, you know, I love to read it economic and financial history. And, and last year is just one of the, you know, in our lifetimes, for sure, just one of the crazy, crazy years. It, it proves my, um, my adage, and I didn't make the adage up, but nobody knows anything. Nobody knows. Uh, if you had known, you know, what was going to happen economically before the year had started, you'd have done very, very poorly, barring maybe you made some money being short in the beginning. Um, you know, but you'd have just got run over on the rally back up, you know, with a sheet of paper that gave you all the bad news that would be occurring. So it right. just goes to show you, you don't have to predict. You just, you just watch what the, like Bill would say, just watch what the market's doing, you know, in the, every, in the last couple of weeks and what it's doing currently. And it's hard for people to grasp that that's really all you need to know to do really, really well in the market uh, because you you're, you have the flexibility to change if you're not trying to pretend that you know. And, and a lot of really smart people in this business have kind of lost their way through the years. You know, I've seen them kind of come and go because they say, well, the market's gonna do this. And then if the market doesn't do that, they're kind of stuck. 
especially yeah. if you go on, I, I, if you go on TV or whatever. And one thing, and even I kind of feel the angst, the anxiety of when we come on these podcasts of mentioning stocks or, you know, or, or anything like that. Cause I always, I'm afraid, I don't want to put myself in that position where, well, I can't get out of X, Y, Z. I just went on the podcast yesterday or three days ago and told everybody, you know, that I liked it, that I was in it, you know? And so it, it can be very hard when you put yourself out there and, and, and mention that stuff. So you have to remain flexible. It's it, 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 all the times when people ask the portfolio managers, you know, if they had to name, you know, one, one or, or one word to, to describe Bill's, you know, um, trading style was always flexible. He didn't care what he thought yesterday or a week ago or whether he was bearish uh, two days ago, you know, Justin tells an awesome story about, you know, when he first got started, you know, and Bill had changed in my, his mind and he was confused at how quickly Bill had changed his mind, right. you know, cause he was just bearish a few days ago. And then Justin gets the sheet and there's a bunch of stocks on there. Why, why weren't you just bearish? <laughs> so th that's the key. I mean, if you, if you have to, you know, put it all into one word, it's flexible. You just, you just want to bend with the breeze and just go with the flow of the market and, and try not to get, um, you know, too married to, you know, either side, bullish, bearish, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah, I, I agree with the, the word flexible. I, I think the other thing, because you need to have rules, right, to, to enable that flexibility, to really be kind of an objective, uh, kind of participant letting you know hey you know in the past letting history really dictate this is trouble this is this is you know acting well uh, i think the other the the one danger though with the the rules part is uh, people have a tendency to write too many rules and be so specific about those rules and you can very easily get caught fo uh, flat-footed because the markets every rally is going to be slightly different every yeah. correction is going to be slightly different and so I think the beauty of what Bill O'Neill and his rules are is they are, they are rules that work, but they are open enough and flexible enough that it adapts to any environment. And last year was perfect. The distribution days, watching leading stocks break, give big sell signals. It really got anyone who's following our system out of the market at the end of February, or you yeah. were moving to cash heavily out in February. And it got you back in mid uh, pretty early April or, you know, end of April. The yeah. system last year nailed it. Yeah. yeah. There, there are years where it, it's can be, you know, there's a lot of false positives or false negatives and you just got to live with that. It's like everything. But last year, the system just nailed it. It got you out within three or four days of the top yeah. and got you back in within, you know, what, maybe six days from the bottom. Uh, and, the thing that that so was so strong with it is it it gets you in when you don't want to get in. <laughs> and trust me, I did not want Nobody to get in. Did. Oh I, my god, I, I was terrified. Yeah. And 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 yeah, it does remind me of another point because I have so, I, I I manage most of my money using the system that we talk about here all the time, uh, and on and all of our IBD content too. But uh, I do have some money in other accounts, just in mutual funds, just to prevent the, to reduce the pressure that it has to be all dependent on me. And it was, it was really right. I think at March 23rd or right at the lows <laughs> where I just started thinking about those accounts. And all I wanted to do was go into those accounts and sell everything. 
right at the lows. And it's so it's amazing at how your emotions will work against you and get you right, you know, it causes you to make the wrong decisions at the wrong time. And so so that that's why you want to follow some of these rules to avoid being near the bottom and, you know, having a panic attack. And I've talked, I spoke to actually others who have been doing this for a long time too. And they said the same thing. They nearly, they were calling like their other advisors and stuff saying, sell me out of everything. And then they caught themselves like, okay, never mind. Just, oh, <laughs> never really? mind. But yeah, let, let, I'm going to give another, never mind. Let me, I'll give another week. And yeah. then the market took off again. Um, so the market is in an uptrend right now. Uh, growth stocks continue to hang in there. But remember, there is a little bit more volatility in the market. There's distribution days. So keep an open mind. Let the leading stocks tell you what to do. Let the markets tell you what to do. Uh, we'll take a quick break. But when we return, we are going to talk about post analysis and the importance of it and what to do, because this is how we all get better. It's not fun, but it is a necessary exercise that you need to do every year. We'll be back. Want to dominate the stock market in 2021? With the COVID vaccines, the shifting political landscape, and a new year, it's virtually impossible to guess what will happen next. But with Vantage Point, you don't have to. Visit www.freestockcoaching.com and find out how Vantage Point's AI technology can forecast stock market trends up to three days in advance with incredible accuracy. Vantage Point's patented technology analyzes huge quantities of global data in seconds. Stop guessing. Check out www.freestockcoaching.com and experience Vantage Point for free. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Scott St. Clair is our guest on Investing with IBD, sponsored by Vantage Point. Okay, Scott, let's get into post-analysis. Uh, now, this is a this is a necessary exercise, but uh, personally, even after doing it for a no, you know plenty of years, I I, I do not look forward to doing it. Uh, mm -hmm. Doing it. Uh, uh, so yeah, talk about it, and 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 we'll, we'll go into a little bit more of the details too. Yeah, I have to admit that I, I never did post analysis before I came to IBD. Okay. Uh, I just I just didn't want to do it. It's a lot of work and it's it's um it'll it'll humble you a little bit. You know, you have to be willing to um you know put yourself out there and even to your own self, you know, to to expose your 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 you know, you you'll have some strengths. We all have things we do really well in the market and we all have things we do poorly. Um, I, from Bill O'Neill down to me. And so you really want, and the main thing is about a post analysis is to, to, to find those, to be honest with yourself, to show you uh, your strengths and weaknesses. So you can either build up your weaknesses ideally, or sometimes when I've found weaknesses, I've just decided, well, I'm weak at that. I'm just going to stop doing that for like uh, options or futures. You know, if I try to trade futures and lose money and lose money, eventually it's like um, either get better at that or stop doing that. And so I just said, uh, it's easier just to stop doing it. And so that's what a post analysis can do to help you to learn, uh, you know, like I said, where you're strong and, and where you're weak and, and ideally carry that forward to the, to the next year. Yeah. And, and it does take time, even if you've learned some of those mistakes, to slowly improve, it may take years. It's definitely taken me years mm -hmm. to unlearn some of the bad habits I, I was developing. Uh, but what you want to do, and, and this is kind of the minimum uh, that you want to do for post analysis, you want to gather your trades, sort them, sort all the results, 
uh, by performance and identify your, your best three trades and your worst three trades, and then go through them. Identify where you bought the stocks, where you added to them, where you got shaken out of them, all that stuff. You want, you want to kind of mark it down, print out, print out those marketsmith charts, mark them, mark them up. And uh, you want to figure out what you did right on those trades, what you did wrong on those trades. And a lot of times when you sometimes, even though you made money, you could have made a, uh, it might've been a wrong trade. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so you want to kind of uh, identify it. Yeah, so for, let's first talk about that. Cause we, we, yeah. we take, we assume we, everyone knows about that, but I've, talk, talk about that part. I've done my post analysis and, and, and I like the idea of three trades. It's like going to the gym. If you've never done a post analysis, or you never been to the gym and you want to start lifting weights, you wouldn't go to the gym and put 500 pounds on the, the bench press or the, you know, the rack and start squatting it. You'd start with, you know, something easy. Um, so if you've never done a post analysis, I love the idea of three trades. What I will do is I have some software that takes all my trades and I'm a very active trader. So that's, I need a software to do that. And so then I can sort by biggest gains and biggest losses and then I just kind of go through and look for the ones where they're out, you know, is that an outsized, outsized gain, you know, relative to the account size? Is that an outsized loss relative to what I should be losing? And then just scratch all the stuff in the middle, you know, see so that way it's, it's doable. And sometimes that might be 10 or 12 trades on both sides. And, and, but I like the idea of at least three, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then that's why I said three, because yeah. that's what, that's what you know. Uh, IBD has always said to do that. That's what you know. Those who've been doing this for a longer time than we were both doing it. That that's what when when we both started a year in house. That's what they told us to do too. And it's you you it because it's reasonable yeah. at that time, right? Uh, if you say go through all your trades, I, I I make a lot of trades too. It's like there's no way I'm going to be able to go through it. every yeah. single trade. But uh, most trades, as you said, most trades are going to be very quick losses, very quick gains. Uh, but you want to definitely first knock out those outliers, those big gains, those those really big losses. Uh, now, the, I think for those who are newer, and this is something that I, you know, and this is the, this is probably the hardest part, and these are the most dangerous ones you have to knock out first: the cutting your losses. Uh, you want to definitely identify some of those losses that were more than 8% and see how far down they went and see where you could have gotten out of them. Uh, yeah, there's an old adage, uh, every large loss started out as a small loss. And I would exactly. say that 99.9% .9 of the time, that's true. In my career, 25 years of trading, I've had some gap downs, but, but almost every outsized loss that I've taken I could have taken it for a smaller loss. I just was, didn't want to, I was pigheaded, you know, I was hoping it would come back or whatever, Yep. you know, so you're right. And the other ones in the, in the middle, if you get good at the, the really good ones you've done well in, and, and then the ones where you lost too much, you know, you, you'll find that that's why that adage exists because you can go and look on a chart and say, oh, I got out there. Well, I had three or four days before where I could have got out of better prices and didn't. And, and that's, I've lived that. But the, the ones I like to also, if you want to take it another step is um, some big winners that you've traded, but didn't make big money in. Mm, so Tesla would be a, a perfect example for me. I might be the only guy in America that lost money on Tesla. So I bought it on um, April 27th. 
and uh and it ran up i thought i i envisioned it as like a little cup with handle mm-hmm. and on may 1st a handful of days later i was down five percent and closed out the position and you, you it looks like nothing on the chart but 173 down to you know 152 is is enough to get me stopped you know so i bought it there yeah that day exactly what you bought it in april no, i 20- bought it like three days before yeah that to me that's a really so, good cup with handle right yeah, there. yeah. I, I think yeah. i bought it there too a lot of us probably did yeah very few of us uh got stopped out and if you did that's no, fine no. i have no problem with the stop out i have no problem with, with, with that trade that was a perfect trade in my opinion but one of my rules is it's okay to get back in always always i can buy it back and i don't know why i just can't tell you why but i just didn't buy it back and so that was one of the rules that you know i i have is you can buy it back and and i violated that rule on tesla and missed a really big win now admittedly i wouldn't have ridden it you know split adjusted from you know 170 buying it back to 700 i mean i just never would have been there for that whole whole move but i'm i might have captured 100 points or something you know so yeah you can see it on the chart there that's a big swing down um, it was, yeah. from, you know, eight something down to 700. I can't survive that. No. And, and I, so I, I bought it around the same place where you bought it. And I probably added right at that high of, of that reversal day too, because I have a tendency to do that. And I got shaken out at the same place too. And you know what? I had no regrets selling there. Yeah. Cause I was down more than 5% on my trade. Right way whatever, to play right? it for sure. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I, I eventually got back when it started tightening up around 800, because I knew that, okay, this thing is going to leave me if I'm not in it. It's like the only way it's not going to go up is if I'm in it. Yeah. And so I don't want anyone else to get <laughs> the mental go. health buy. Like exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, so that's where I got into it. But, but this is a, this is a perfect example because there have been hundreds of stocks, I think, where I've done gotten shaken out of him and because it, it's a shake on in hindsight, but I've done, you do the right thing, but really the next step is, so, so you can take a step back first. The, the reason why we sell at that point is something's off. We're trying to keep our losses small. And also really the larger expectation is it's not acting right. And now my expectation is the stock should go down. If the stock doesn't go down, that's really breaking that expectation. And, and that's a really kind of subtle kind of thing that took me years to truly understand after doing post analysis and realizing, oh, my God, I, I, met, I missed out on all these great, great stocks because I got shaken out of some kind of few day kind of really scary move. Uh, so getting back in, figuring a way to get back in is that next rule you need to write yourself. And I think. You know, even though we mentioned this a number of times and throughout webinars over the years and all this kind of stuff, I think everyone kind of has to just go and do that post analysis and really see some real trades where they really messed it up. <laughs> and you have those scars uh, there to remind you that, hey, I need to change this. Or if you don't change and write some of those rules, nothing's going to change in your portfolio because this is going to happen every year. Yeah. Yep, you're not going to know that you, you know, why should I have a rule buy it back? You know how, well, if you, if you go through your trades and see enough times where you picked the right stock, but maybe the timing just wasn't correct, or maybe you misinterpreted the chart, 
you know, it could be that, um, that really didn't have enough time on the handle. It just needed another shakeout, right? And it, and right. it worked. It had a, it sh- shook out and got me out. Uh, but I've I've never had a problem buying them back. Very rarely. Uh, I've, sometimes I feel like I go to the well too many times. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's just gonna it's gonna go. You know. One thing our system identifies all the best stocks. It's just a matter of it's gonna go. I know it's gonna go, and I'll go back to it two or three times. And, you know, sometimes that fourth time, it's like, uh, maybe, maybe I'm misinterpreting this, but it only would have taken two times on Tesla to get it right. Um, and so if you're, when you're wrong, you lose 5% and you're right. Tesla is an outlier, of, of course, but let's just say I, I take profits at 20%. It's a pretty good risk reward ratio, four to one in my favor. You know, when I'm wrong, I lose 5%. When I'm right, I make 20. Um, I'll own the world in about 18 months. If that was the case. <laughs> Um, yeah so it's now another and i think this is for for a lot of people with post analysis uh why they hesitate doing this and and you kind of see it with us talking is you're gonna be wrong a lot more than you're right i mean it's not i mean you still could have had a good year you know you're gonna be so wrong most of the time and do so many dumb things uh that you need to get used to it because that's human nature in many ways and that's emotions getting the best of you even if you've been doing this for years and years those emotions don't go away really Uh, you just get a little bit better at managing them but you need to get comfortable with making mistakes and knowing that you're going to be wrong most of the time in this game yeah the the quote i was trying to find that stanley Druckenmiller had said and it you know i'm paraphrasing is he'd said i i I, sometimes i wonder how i even made money i've made so many mistakes (laughs) And I think that too. I think, how, how did I make money this year? And sometimes like, wow, how did I do that? Well, I didn't own, I didn't have Tesla. I sold Lavago too soon. I sold C limited too soon and just had a monster year. It's like, how is that possible? So that's also encouraging that you, yeah. you don't, it's like baseball. I love the analogy of baseball. You know, Mike Trout, I live in Orange County. Mike Trout's, um, yeah, what he, you know, I don't know where he lives, probably Newport Beach. I thought Newport. Oh, not in the same neighborhood as you? Probably not. <laughs> probably not. But he drives by my house onto the way to the big A. Because <laughs> um, he probably lives in Newport Coast. But this is a guy with a $500 million contract that's wrong 60% of the time, right? Because he, he yep. bats about 300 and he, he, get, he gets on base another 100, 100 basis points, so to speak, with walks and airs and stuff like that. So, 60% of the time he goes to the plate and he walks back to the dugout wrong. And he's a hall of famer. One of the best baseball players ever. You could do that at 25, 27, 28% of the time and make three, $4 million a year as a baseball player. So yeah. a batting average, a win rate, I think is very overrated in investing because I could go into the market and buy Apple and make 14 cents and do that all day long, but I'm not going to make any money. So I can feel good about myself and, and get it right eight out of 10 times. I'd rather get it right two out of 10 and make 14 points or 40 points or, you know, even more sometimes if you get it right. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. And, and that, and that, I think that is the, the most encouraging thing you can continually be wrong, but if you get a few of them, especially the way our system works, 
I, I, the one thing that I, I, I'm very confident in is that this system will identify a lot of great, great companies with huge potential. Whether they work at that point or whether they, and a number, some of them, a number of them will never work, but they're going to, you're not going to be hundred percent wrong. No, <laughs> there are going to be a few of them that you're going to be in at the right time yeah. that go up a tremendous amount. Uh, and it, it really is that managing part. That's the lifetime kind of skill to develop. Uh, and, you know, and, and those are the ones that also hurt a lot because you mentioned none of those stocks with C Limited and Tesla and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I was in some of those, but I never capital. I didn't, I could have gotten a lot better, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's you know. what the post analysis is for, help you get better. So it's, it's got pluses and minuses. It's discouraging. It's a little disheartening. You're going to see a lot of the mistakes you made. But then in the end, you can say, you know what? I don't have to be perfect to, to do well in the market. And so that, that's the encouraging part of a post analysis as well. Yeah. Now, so one last question in this kind of uh, segment right here. But now you, you've had mentors over the years. Now, have you ever shared any of your trades with them or you know, just get some input from them to, to kind of look at it from another objective view? I have, um, you know, run money side by side, you know, you know in a hedge fund where, where there, we had two co-managers. Okay. So there was two of us and he, you know, and then we could see each other's trades, so to speak. Yeah. Um, no, I've never done that with my own personal, my PA. Uh, I but even like, even in that, you still had another set of eyes watching you. Yeah. Well, talk, yeah, talk about that part at least. Cause it's, it's, um, it's both good and bad running your own money. It's like everything. I think everything in life has a yin and a yang. Uh, I sometimes think if, if uh, bill would, would look in my account, he'd think I was bananas, you know, cause I might buy something, change my mind. And then a day later, buy it back, you know, and, and, and I like that flexibility yeah. of not having to explain myself. Um, you know, why, you know, what happened? Uh, that's one of the advantages of running your own money. Uh, but yeah, having, having somebody to do that with is it's, it cannot hurt you for sure. I've had lots of, you know, um, quasi mentors, I guess, David Ryan, for sure. I, you know, followed him and went to plenty of seminars where he was at mm -hmm. and, um, you know, listened to him on CDs and, and, uh, with Dave, uh, Bill, of course. And I have a lot of the IBD, um, uh, seminars on CD that I can listen to, you know, you know, when Steve was doing them and, and, um, Mike and Char all these guys, and even right. the ones that we went to. Right? right. So it's not quite the same, but it, it, you know, it's out there, but I, I don't know. In the end, I think you have to kind of, it's like paper trading. It, it, I don't think it has that much. You have to kind of learn this on your own. I agree with that for sure. Uh, and I, I do, I, it, it, there's a balance with having someone else review it and stuff like that. But it, for, for those who are out there listening, if you know someone who's done this and done it, done it well, and, and they can guide you a little bit, you don't necessarily have to show all your, your trades and stuff, but yeah, show a couple of trades here and there. Do a post analysis. And then, right. and if you have somebody that can review, yeah, that I, and I think Justin's done that with Bill a number yeah. of years. <laughs> Again, we're bringing up Justin. We should have him on. <laughs> he but doesn't he, want to come on. Yeah. Is that what it is? <laughs> no, he no. He, he's, he's so busy. Yeah. He did a post analysis and then he brought all his charts on a plane and sat next to Bill for a plane and had Bill, you know, cornered. When he wouldn't even let him get peanuts or get up to go to the restroom. 
and Justin would, would go on there and tell him, you know, or I'm sorry, Bill would say, okay, yeah, this is, you know, this is where you could have done better or whatever. You get the idea. And yeah. Jim Ropel talks a lot about what, you know, with Bill, with Bill um, yeah. helping him. So, um, yeah, if you have somebody like that, oh man, take advantage of it for sure. And I have a, a friend of mine who's, he's amazing in the market. He's, and, and um, so I lean on him when I'm, when I'm down last year, um, there, Oh, it, there was a stock that I, I was in and I just was too nervous about the, the market and the volatility of the stock around the earnings report. And I, I did, I sold it before the earnings and it went up a ton on earnings. And I was just so frustrated because I, um, I like this name. I wanted to be in it, but it gosh darn earnings reports are so tough. Yeah. Yeah. And so I called him and I was pretty, pretty down about it, you know? And he's like, you know, there's, there's another bus, Scott. I promise you there's, there's so many, but on the street, there's a bus every 15 minutes. And in the stock market, there's a bus even, even every, you know, even more, there'll be another one. Forget about that one. And it was amazing if if I could plot that phone call with my with my equity curve, it was like a cannon. It was right before I, the next stock I bought was Snowflake. Wow! And I had just total conviction in it and just size go yeah. for the jugular size. Yeah. And I know I would not have had the, been able to do that without having talked to him about that. He kind of talked me off the cliff a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it can really help if you have uh, somebody like that. Perfect. So pulse analysis is one of those uh, keys to success that you have to do if you want to get better at this game. Unfortunately, it's one of the hardest things you're going to have to do, too. Uh, so coming up next, we are going to talk about a few ideas. Stay tuned. Tired of reading about other people getting rich in the stock market? Today is your day. Vantage Point's artificial intelligence has predicted countless market reversals, helping traders weather any storm up to three days in advance. Visit www.freestockcoaching.com and find out how their AI automatically recognizes global market patterns well ahead of the news to help you pick the best trade. Go to www.freestockcoaching.com to join a free live training session today. Don't delay, save your seat now. We are back with Scott St. Clair on Investing with IBD, sponsored by Vantage Point. Okay, Scott, let's get into a few ideas here. And the first one is uh, NTR Nutrien Limited. And this is just one of the stocks that David Ryan pulled up uh, on the uh, on IBD Live this morning. And it was, I, I remember when he was starting to talk about these uh, agriculture stocks, I, I just started thinking, oh gosh, there there are going to be a lot of viewers going wondering, what, why is he buying stocks with no earnings and and sales? But you know what? This is trending well, and the industry group is doing well, and and, and so I, he eventually explained it. You know, sometimes for some of these turnaround plays, you go more off the technicals. Scott, what do you like about this? Yeah, I like that David mentioned it. <laughs> so. <laughs> I was watching IVD live. I, NTR has not been on my radar. And as soon as he mentioned it, you know, I just pulled the first thing I do. If somebody mentions a stock is I always pull up the chart Yeah. and look at that weekly chart, it's you know? Incredible. So that was Facebook or Netflix or Google. I mean, you'd be buying it with both hands. Right. Yeah. So I just, you know, I, I subscribe to the George Soros theory, invest first, investigate later. I just started buying. 
Um, and it, you know, it's, it's just kind of a pilot or probing position, whatever you want to call it. And then I'll, you know, I'll, I have a plan to get out if I'm wrong, but, uh, one thing David said that kind of resonated with me a little bit is he talked about, you know, having all these high flying stocks. So if your yeah. whole portfolio is Okta and CrowdStrike and Twilio and Zoom, it can be really uh, harrowing every day. Your account can just be moving a lot. Yeah, you don't have to tell nice. me. I think I had all those at the yeah, same time. It's yeah, not, and he ta- he owned City's own Target for a long time, and so it's it, it's not. It, no, normally I don't do that. I'm in the you know I'm always looking for the fastest horse. So it's nice to have something that might be a little bit slower, and you don't have to to watch so much. But what also appealed to me was I I was there in 2005 when Potash and and Mosaic, those stocks, they, you know, CF. They yep. went up a lot. They yep. went up like internet stocks in, yep. in the 1990s. Yep. So, you know, if, if there's a, a sea change in the industry or, you know, fertilizer, you know, suddenly is in high demand and there's a, a supply shortage, these stocks can go up a lot. So um, that uh, the combination of, you know, triggered that old uh, memory of those stocks previously and the chart looks really good. And I just love the asymmetry of everything we do. In other words, I'm going to risk 5% and, and who knows if it goes up half as much as it went up last time, you know, from 05, it went up. What, what is that? Is that 30 to 200? Yeah, it, it might be even more than that. It, oh, wow. uh, well, yeah, from 05. Well, yeah, it broke out at 36, 35 and went up to 200, which and, and yeah, so I, that's what I was looking at while while you were talking. And and so in 2006 to the end of 2005, 2006, once it really the stock really got going, it had 15 months in a row up. Yeah, it was just consistent, wow. consistent, consistent. What so, if you just said, I'll buy it and I won't sell it till it has a down month. It's an incredible. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I, I haven't looked at Tesla like that, but I imagine you could really ride. It would, it wouldn't happen that often, but right. man, you would get an amazing run once in a great while. Yeah. It, and, and this one, uh, I, so we, we're looking at it on a monthly chart here. The, the one key and the one, I think the big takeaways that this has done it before, so it, it, it's possible that it could do it again. It's, it, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, because who knows? But when you have that character, that character could return, like Scott spoke about, if ags, if if the the potash, did I say right? Oh, po, po, and I know Chris now. I know. I, think I forget I've now. I've always called it potash, and I'm it's po- it was keep, potash, right? Now I'm gonna I'm keep calling it that. Is it's too late for me. It's is it potash or it's potash, right? I think, I think that's that's potash. what Chris said. It is, so, like I said, I'm not Chris, changing now. <laughs> tomato or tomato, right? <laughs> yeah, Chris, Chris Gessel, who's the chief content officer on uh, of IBDN, also one of the the stars of IBD Live. He uh, his family worked in a, the potash business and works in the potash business. So so he he said that this is the right way to say it. And I, I'm hoping I'm I, I <laughs> well enough. But um, yeah, so it so that's the thing that really stuck out to me when I saw this weekly chart. This thing can move. I do remember back in 2007 how a number of those stocks moved so well too. So one to keep an eye on. Now this is definitely more an industry play, more a technical play. Uh, and so it's not our traditional uh, type of stocks that, that we look for. But that being said, you can always just manage your risk, use the charts uh, to let you know when to get out of them, especially the downside. 
So that's nutrient limited. Now, the second stock that we were going to look at uh, was uh, Corsair. And let me pull that up. And so that ticker symbol is CRSR. And so this is a new company. It's a gaming company. Now, what I like about it, and I've, I have shares of this, and I've had shares for a while, but I've re heavily reduced it over the, the last uh, month or so. But uh, the what I found interesting about this company is they make the, a lot of components within the gaming. So they make the headsets, and I, that, that was why it stuck out to me, because I remember being in Best Buy, and I saw, like, they have a section, they have a shelf there with Corsair, all their... Mm their headsets and their keyboards and all, all these really uh, gaming oriented things, not your normal kind of mouse, it's a gaming mouse. Uh, but what I really liked about it, they were very expensive. Oh. And so why, while I might not necessarily buy them, I might go and buy the stock because I've learned over the years, something like a Coach, I remember when Coach went on a dramatic run or a Lululemon selling a hundred, dollar yoga pants you might not buy the product but there could be a market that's more than happy to spend a lot of money on it and that could lead to huge uh revenue for those companies so corsair stuck out to me when i saw it uh, uh when it was a, a new stock and so they make not only the headsets or accessories but the other kind of thing and where they really made the name because it's not a new company they've been around for a while it's a lot of the they make a lot of the components within the computers so um, the not the chips, but like the fans and things like that to, to really make the, the computers run more efficiently because they heat up a lot when you put really fast moving uh, or powerful chips in there. So uh, that's my really probably poor description of the company. But uh, these guys are well positioned, you know, esports. Everyone's been hearing about that. That trend is not going away anytime soon. It's just going to keep growing. And so these guys are well positioned uh, to be part of this trend. They provide a lot of equipment to do little uh, videos. A lot of people like to broadcast their gaming on YouTube and Twitch and all these things. And Scott, I know <laughs> your son likes to watch a, yeah. a bunch of this stuff. And, and we've seen it with, with uh, my niece and nephew. They love watching YouTube and watching all, all these videos. And so a lot of people like to broadcast their gaming on there and so Corsair will provide a lot of that equipment too. Yeah, you and I didn't own it for the move uh, from 25 to 50 unfortunately out of that kind of IPO base. I think it's IPO base. I remember yeah, you it, was, it yeah. was one of the stocks you you mentioned on yeah. IBD Live. Yeah. But uh when it pulled back to the 10 week line or the 50 day if you're on the uh the daily chart it's it's uh what you know Charles would sometimes say and I don't know if he's looking at this stock or not, but I, I love how he says the first pullback to the 50 days of layup. In other words, you get a stock that's made a really good move, a strong move. You get that first pullback to the 50 day. Um, you want to take advantage of that. Um, so that kind of stuck with me when I saw this stock pull back to the 50 day yesterday. So I, I was buying today. Um, the other thing that I really, really loved well, besides the big earnings and sales, the numbers are really good. Yes, but that's what really stuck out with me initially. Yeah, that's how it's going to come up on your radar. Besides mm -hmm. relative strength, it, you know, it, it has it has a lot of the characteristics. But if you look on the right hand side, I don't know if people can see within the you know based on the where our window is of of us, but you've got the IBD mutual fund ownership. Is that visible? Yeah, that hopefully will be visible. Good, but good. The, the, the 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 quick answer is Fidelity Contra Fund. 
has Bingo. a small position in. Yeah, and it's a small position. For, uh, Fidelity Contra is my favorite. I always like to see him in there. Everyone's but favorite. Yeah. What really sticks out to me for this is a small company, Corsair. And he just, as a general rule, because I follow almost all his buys and positions, companies this small, he doesn't usually normally uh, 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 get involved in because he can't, right? From a liquidity right. standpoint. Well, it's just like a $100 million dollar volume. Yeah, right. but I'm talking about the overall size of the company. Oh, I mean, he'd practically oh. have to buy the whole company to move the needle on his fund. <laughs> it's true. There's only 15 million shares. There's in the only float. 15. In, yeah, you're but right. But yet he's still in there, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. so my thought process is he must think this could make a really big move and become larger. And then I can add more size in it as it becomes a larger company and, and more liquid, et cetera. So yeah, that really stuck out to me to see uh, Contra have a position in, in a company this size. In my experience, I, I look at this very regularly. Anytime I see something um, and he just doesn't own stocks, you know, that are not, you know, multi-billion dollar stocks because it's, it's hard. You know, of yep. Corsair, you know, triples from here, it's not going to move the needle on his fund at 0.01%. He needs to, you know, he needs to build a larger position to make, to move the needle. No, that's a, it's a really great point. I, I, like you, I, I've been adding the last couple of days back to the Corsair position because it, it just came back to the, the 50 day. Now I wasn't thrilled to buy it at that point, but I know the first time touching that 50 day. And uh, so just start slowly buying and I just let I those numbers are huge, and the the fact that contra funds in there too, it's like take a shot. If it sells off, if I'm down five percent or whatever, I'll I'll get out right. Mm -hmm. And exactly. and so that's you know that's the chances and that's the the risk that you have to take sometimes. But so we'll have to wait and see. The market will tell us whether we're right or wrong on this. But that's Corsair Gaming ticker symbol CRSR, and then the final stock is uber the ticker symbol uber u-b-e-r and i just pulled it up on a weekly chart here and scott what do you like about these guys so it's one thing you said about corsair is exactly what stuck out to me on uber um i don't have a car i got in a car accident and then we're oh, and, you, and you haven't gotten a new car yet. i haven't gotten one wow I don't really need one um, yeah. until I have to start driving more. So I just Uber everywhere. And what you said this morning, I'd be live. You know, it's a verb, right? You Google. I don't. I don't internet search anything. I Google search it. Yeah. So if if my wife needs her car, I always say it's all good. I'll just Uber there. So I I, I had to Uber to the beach this weekend, and you poor um, person. I pulled up Uber in the morning. What's that? I said you poor guy. You had it's to Uber tough. to the beach. Yeah, it's tough living so close to the beach. <laughs> And I pulled up Uber in the morning and it was $100. Now the beach is about 20, 25 minutes away from me. It was $100. Wow. And so I said, well, I guess I'm not going because I'm too cheap to pay 100 And Lyft was $25. So I just, I just used Lyft. Now I was listening to a podcast, a guy who's a value investor he had, it's funny how the moons all came together for this. And he was talking about Uber and he gave a very compelling story about owning Uber as a value investor. And I thought that was very wow. strange. Yeah. 
Um, and then, so what do I do, right? Anytime I'm, I hear somebody mention a stock, I pull up the charts right on the 10 week line, yeah. you know, so it, it, it just kind of combined. Now, the Corsair thing you mentioned about the headsets being too expensive, you wouldn't buy them. It's the same thing I felt about Uber. I would never pay a hundred dollars, but somebody <laughs> is doing that. Yeah. Uber, those guys are not dummies. They know what Lyft is charging at the same time, right? They didn't adjust their price even a little bit, you know? So at at $100, a lot of people prefer that comfort of Uber, of of just the brand name of Uber. And so they were able, they're able to charge a hundred, whereas Lyft is able to charge 25. And like you mentioned with Corsair, I'm not going to take Uber, but I want to own the stock. I want to own the best brand. Now I'm not going to own Lyft. I don't need to own both. I think you either get them both right or both wrong probably. Uh, But I I think Uber's the better brand. Um, And that pricing just kind of stuck with me when I, when I saw that um, is that, they, they must be doing something right that they're able to charge so much more. And this maybe is a unique situation. Most of the time, the prices are very, very close. Right, right. But this was a way out of whack. And so uh, that stuck with me. Um, so long story short, I own the stock. Bought it off the 10-week line, just like Corsair. And just like you've said, I'll manage my risk. If I'm wrong, I'll lose 5%. And it's not going to be like Corsair, you know, if you get Corsair right, you could make a lot. Whereas Uber, to make a lot, you'll probably have to be very patient uh, over a long time, which is fine. A lot of people are more patient than me, but it doesn't mean I can't, you know, maybe capture 20, 25% in it over a number of, you know, weeks to months. Yeah, it, uh, well, I, I own shares of Uber too. Uh, one of the big reasons, and this has always just kind of been on that radar, just simply, it's kind of like it reminds me of Facebook years ago. It's one of those big brand names that everyone uses. And if the if all of a sudden you start seeing the confirmation on the technicals, you want to be there. Because if, if they truly prove that they can monetize and now their business is going to be good, a lot of funds are going to just start, move, a lot of growth funds are going to start moving into it. So, so I noticed it and it broke out. Uh, it, you, you was crazy. You was the, I would have bought it on November 4th because it had, it, it broke out very powerfully. It had a breakaway gap on earnings on November 4th. And mm. a lot of times that, that is a, a buy point for me. The reason I didn't buy it was because we had the elections going on. And in California, there was a proposition about how to treat Uber drivers, employees or contractors. And so I was a little nervous about that. Uh, And that was a mistake, I think. I should have bought a little bit at least and, you know, taken taken a shot because it it, it was acting well. And and it just it kind of has a story. And it's now as a technical action. It doesn't have necessarily the numbers just yet, uh, but it is just, it just, I've seen it enough where you have these kind of really interesting companies that are potential huge disruptors. And obviously Uber's disrupted a lot of, uh, of the taxi industry and, and, and a number of other things. Uh, you have that, you want to always give those stocks a chance at least to consider, right? You maybe don't buy it, but you want to look at it again and say, should I, and, and strongly consider, should I buy it? If you start getting the technical actions, you start getting, 
your entry points of how, however you buy them. I do own shares of it. Let's see what happens. It would not surprise me. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Facebook when, uh, so let, let's see what happens on it. And, and not every stock in, in our database, the biggest winners, roughly one in four are stocks like Uber turnarounds, right, you know, right. where they didn't have earnings and sales. Um, you know, it's not that they don't have sales. They don't have growing sales, you know, quarter over, year over year, yeah. but um, you don't want to necessarily, I, I don't think, um, you know, completely rule them out. Now, if you had a portfolio of 10 stocks, I wouldn't want to own 10 potential turnarounds. I, I would probably own, you know, two. Um, but, uh, that, you know, it's nothing wrong with you know, having a couple of them uh, in your portfolio uh, because they can be big winners too. Yeah, so I, I do have a little bit smaller position in an Uber. And I'll, obviously the huge difference between an Uber and Facebook at this point is Facebook really started getting those earnings once it started going. So you, you want to, so that's why I have it a little bit smaller, but it's just one of those kind of big names everyone recognizes. And I, I also, it's funny, you mentioned that, Scott, I actually use Lyft too. And <laughs> it, it's, it's not always the same. I mean, they're always usually the same prices, but one time I, I it was hard. For, I couldn't sign back into my Uber account. So I just tried Lyft and I just stuck with Lyft. Um, but uh, just keep an eye on it. I think uh, in the, from the stock perspective right now, at least Uber is definitely the leader of the versus a lift there. So, uh, so there you go. That is Uber ticker symbol U B E R. And those are a few ideas that are worth considering. Now, remember, you know, take a look at them. If they, if they appeal to your strategy, you know, tr try them, you can all, and, and if they go against you always have that extra strategy to manage your risk. So thanks Scott for joining us today. Of course, bud. It's always fun. Next week, we are hoping to have Chris Gessel on the show. <laughs> I, he, he's he's going to try to make it work. If not, we will have someone else. Uh, but Chris is the Chief Content Officer of Investor Business Daily, and he hasn't been on for a while, but uh, so it'd be great to have him on and get his thoughts on the market. So that's it for this week on Investing with IBD. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Milton Charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode.